Hey everyone, Ed Helms here. You might know me as Andy from The Office or Stu from The Hangover, or you might know me as the co-founder of BGS. I know, I'm just as surprised as you. They let me co-found something. But here's the thing, we're doing it again. Yeah, this time we're leaping into our other deep love, the vast and vibrant world of country music with something we're calling Good Country. Now this isn't just another newsletter. Think of Good Country as a place. A place where you can explore, learn, and dig into all of what makes country good. Seriously, country music has so much going on these days, and it's coming from so many different deep and soulful places, and we're here to cover all of it. Just as we've done for Bluegrass and Roots Music at BGS for over a decade. So sign up now at goodcountrybgs.substack.com and let us bring you the many sides of country music straight to your inbox. Good country. It's a nice place to be. Hey, it's Cindy Howes from the podcast Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Check out our very special 250th episode featuring an interview and performance with Basic Folk co-host Lizzie No. I feel like most women I know have an experience where They've been working and working and working to perform and to execute and to please everyone else. And then things sort of fall apart a little bit in some way or another. And partying can actually be a really important step towards getting free because it shows you where you need to fall apart and being on the dance floor, like in community with mm. other women and mm -hmm. in community with queer people. Mm -hmm. Like for me, those experiences have been so important. This time, Lizzie is on the other side of the mic talking about and performing songs from their brand new album, Half Seas. Basic Folk's 250th episode with Lizzie No is streaming now on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Join us there or wherever you get podcasts. All the time that I spent writing articles about music and writing reviews, I wrote hundreds of record reviews. And, and, and I realized fairly quickly that from my point of view, I, the last thing that anybody wanted to know was whether I liked an album or whether I thought it was good. And then what the most important thing for me to do is describe it well. That's what, a, that's what a good review does. It describes the music so that you have some idea of whether you think you might like it or not. And... Um, D debates about what bluegrass is or what good music is or all that stuff just I'm not not interested welcome to the Travis Book Happy Hour podcast I'm Travis Book this episode is brought to you by Thompson Guitars makers of fine instruments handmade with love in Sisters Oregon the podcast is presented by Americana Vibes and the Bluegrass Situation, and our show is part of the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can dive into all things Roots music anytime at thebluegrasssituation.com. When the String Dusters were in Nashville around 2006 and 2007, our Dobro player lived next door to John Weisberger in Madison, Tennessee, right on the Cumberland River. There were two houses on the property. Andy lived in one, John lived in the other. I was sleeping in Andy's guest room, and there were regular picking parties at the compound, as we refer to it now. A few years ago, I suggested John move to Brevard. He looked into it, and I'm happy to say I'm now neighbors with my favorite co-writing partner. John has written with just about everyone in Bluegrass, but recently, his most notable songs have been with Billy Strings. In fact, 
John helped write California Sober, a song Billy recently recorded with Willie Nelson, a music historian, writer, bassist, and king of the charcoal grill. I was thrilled to get to know more about one of the most liked people in bluegrass. This episode was recorded live in February of 2021. Live from the Gray Eagle in Asheville, the Pearl of Carolina, it's the Travis Book Happy Hour with special guest John Weisberger and the Happy Hour house band featuring Tommy Marr. And now, your host, Travis Book. <laughs> thank you, Bill. And thank you, studio audience. I think it's called Wasted on the Way. Off to a bad start. Look around me now. Can see my life before me. Running circles around the way it used to be. I am older now. I have more than what I wanted. Wish that I had started long before I did. And there's so much time wasted underneath the way Time we have wasted on the way So much water moving underneath the bridge Let the water come and carry us away Yeah, when you Question all the answers Envy all the dancers Who had all the nerve Around you now You must go for what you want Look at all of those who did And got what they deserve And there's so much time wasted Every single day Time we have wasted on the way So much water moving underneath the bridge Let the water come and carry us away Let the water come and carry us away Man, I, 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 there, there's so much to say, but I'm going to wait till he's up here and it's part of the interview. Please make welcome the one and only John Weisberger. Hey, man. Hey. Come on out. Make yourself at home, man. It's all right. I, you know, I'm going to sit on a stool. You want to sit? I'll sit, yes. Man. How's it going? It's going good. Good. I've, given that we're in the, is this going to be a snow apocalypse, ice apocalypse? You know, it doesn't. It's. It, I think it's. I think we're going to be fine on this side of the mountain. All right. It's bad everywhere else. Uh, man, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Well, I've been looking forward to it for. I was hoping you would ask me for a while. Now it's my dream has come true. 
So <laughs> even even your dreams can even come my true. dreams come true. Um, let's get a little let's get a little context. Okay. Let's talk a little history. What I'll do is I'll kind of walk people through, and you can help me narrate. All right. Okay. Instead of being like, John. Tell us how you got into music. I'll tell, I'll tell you how you got into music. All right, I'm be interested how about to hear that? that. So, John, you were born in Yellow Springs, Ohio. I was. Where is that? Is that Southern Ohio? Yellow Ohio? Springs is uh, it's outside of Dayton, so it's southwest Ohio. Yeah. Well, that's where my mother's from, is that general area. Interestingly nice area. enough. And you took up e-bass, electric yes. bass, in yes, your I early did. teens. Yes, I did. Um, I, heard, I, heard, uh, I heard the Beatles... Mildly interesting, and then I heard a B.B. King record, and I was yeah. hooked on blues. And so uh, I started playing guitar, actually, and uh, wanted to get a little band together with a couple of friends, and we needed a bass player, and so I became the bass player. Tale as old as time. Yeah, <laughs> really you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, you started playing e-bass in your teens, and that's something that we've got in common. Here's something else that we have in common. Our, both of our first gigs in Nashville... We're at the station in as part of the side men with Terry nice. Eldridge. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got that. Mine is on video, though. Oh, wow. It's on YouTube. There's actually a little, there's a little snippet from the New Year's. Like the first show that I played uh, as a Nashville resident was the New Year's Eve show at the station in with Richard Bailey from the Steel Drivers and um, awesome. Terry Eldridge and. Uh, Mike Compton, and I can't remember who all else, but it was, it was a pretty spectacular band, and I was just hanging on for dear life. That's the, that's the place to be. This, you know, this, I remember when I moved to town, the Sidemen gig was yep. the one, and Jeremy got that, gave me that gig, and I, I, frankly, I flopped. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so your first, the first songs, you know, you're, most of us presumably know you as a songwriter. You're also, you, also, you also are an actual writer. You write just words, um, liner notes. Um, that was that was kind of my notes. entry point into the bluegrass industry. Really, I played I played in some bands in the late eighties, mid eighties, late eighties, early nineties in Southwest Ohio, where I'd moved back around the Cincinnati area. Um, but uh, my older son was born in nineteen ninety, and I was a stay at home dad, so I was at home, and the internet was kind of like just getting going. And I had nothing to do all day when the baby was sleeping, so I started doing stuff and came across there was a there was a a, a bluegrass list serve back in the day. I mean, this is ninety three, ninety four, and the Ken Irwin from Rounder Records so. and a b- bunch of industry people were on there. And I started writing up about shows that I'd seen and records that I listened to and stuff. And that that uh, I got drafted to do some journalism writing and then the liner notes and all that sort of followed from that. That's awesome. Your first, but your first, the first songs you recorded were in your band, Union Springs. Union Springs, yes. Was that that wasn't your first band, but that was your first bluegrass band. That was the first band that I was I was a I was a partner in. So it was a pretty democratic band. We it, it was a it was it was, it was the a, first band you lost money in. It was the first band I lost. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, Dwight McCall, the son of. Jim McCall, who was one of the great, legendary Baltimore bluegrass uh, singers, um, and Dwight went on to have a great career with the Country Gentleman and with J.D. Crow yeah. on a couple of different stints, but he and yeah. I and a couple of other friends started that band. Well, actually, we quit playing for somebody else and started our own band. That's, That's a bluegrass story. I was going to say, again, <laughs> once again, a tale of all the time. There's a little band I'm in. It's called the String Dusters, and that was, that was the... 
name of the game Same for deal. us. Yep. Everybody had gigs, but we wanted to lose money in our own band. Well, that was Union Springs. We lost a lot of money, but we did. We, th- those were my those were my first uh, first records, and that was when I started writing songs. So I was already forty years old by then, and I had never written a song in my life until the local record label. We went to them and said we want to make a record, and you know this was in the days before Project Studios and all that. So you had to find like an actual studio and a label and and all that. We did, and uh, the guy said. Um, I'll make a record for you, but you have to write some originals. Right. You need songs. You need songs. And so I thought, let me get my pencil out and yeah. see what I can do. And totally. That started. Well, my understanding is, is, you know, by the way, you've had some really cool band names along the way, <laughs> I might point out, in, including the Comet All-Stars. Comet All-Stars. Which is pretty clever. The Lazy Boys. But my favorite is the Lonesome Airs. The Lonesome Airs, yes. H-E-I-R-S. And that involves, that, there's two, two people I play with. Regularly, that are in that yeah. Andy Falco and Jeremy Garrett are yep. also lonesome heirs. You have a way with words, so you're, so you're, you're, you're in, you're in Union Springs, and you're performing these songs. This is the story. This is the, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. So right. this is, and, and again, another tale as old as time. You had a band member leave the band, Chris Davis. Yes, and he, one of those songs that he played while he was in the band, it had the effect that you want songs to have where. When he wasn't playing it in the band anymore, he still wanted to play it. And so he, as he went on to other bands, he was playing it in other yes. bands. And you yep. knew this. You knew this because you pay attention. And so <laughs> you were at Bean Blossom, and you knew he was going to play the song. And so you, and you knew John Chapman of the Chapmans. Uh-huh. And so you thought it might be a good song for the Chapmans. So you suggested that he listen to Chris play your song yes. that yep. afternoon. Yep. And this is what you said. You said he did, and he liked it and subsequently recorded it, and then he asked if you had anything else. He asked if I had anything else, and I had one song, which, which actually we had just worked up. I wrote when we were going to make records, which is another story as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> we're going in the studio. We need some songs. <laughs> totally. Um, so, and so we had just started, the bands just started to, to think about making another record. I wrote one song. We kind of worked it up, and then the band broke up. And, uh, and so John Chapman asked me, I said, well, I have this one song, and uh, it took me a while to find a, like a rehearsal tape of it, and I sent it off to him, and, uh, and they cut it, and it became a big bluegrass hit of 2001. Well, and, then, and, you, and at that point, you smelled, you tasted blood, because, <laughs> because you realized that there was, if you could, if you could like, crystallize inspiration, bring songs into form, or sometimes they call this songwriting. Yeah. If you could sort of make these things up, then there were a whole host of musicians who were dying to do the hard work of recording and performing these songs. You what, know? Yes. And what, what happened was I moved to Nashville right at the end of 2002 to play with Chris Jones. And um, as soon as I moved there, he went off on about eight months of a tour with the Chieftains. So I was sitting in Nashville, nothing to do, no money. And I, and I thought, and I had just done my first co-write. And I thought... Well, this is a good way to spend some time. I'll hang out with people. We'll write songs together. Maybe something will happen someday. And, uh, and so that's, that's what I started doing was, was writing at that point, um, just for lack of anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of us that are in that. There's a lot of people right now that are working a lot on music because they don't have anything else to yeah. do, yeah. you know, making up music. So you, taste, so you taste blood, and you realize that you can write songs and that people will record them. And, and this, is, this is something that... It's actually incredibly uncommon 
for a songwriter to make up songs and have other people record them. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's a model for it in Nashville, in the, in the country music industry. You know, there are great songwriters who are uh, Harlan Howard being a, an obvious example. Who He wrote songs. He didn't really sing them. He was not a performer. He wrote songs. And so that was, I kind of thought, okay, well, I can do that. And, um, um, and I could. <laughs> yeah, and you do. <laughs> I do, yeah. You do, and I think, and I think one of like you know one of you have there's a couple of there's a couple of things that I think are really um, really special about you, and one of them is is you know we, we always call our our guitar player Andy Falco we call him the bluegrass diplomat because he has every, he's actually everyone on speed dial, <laughs> but really I think that that title probably belongs to you because you have um, not only do you not only do you not only do you have re- relationships sort of. A, across the entire pseudo-nouveau bluegrass spectrum. But you also have this, you have this ability to sort of put, to put all that stuff in context, right? And, and not only in like a historical context, but even in, in sort of like a, 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 the present context. You, you have, you have a, an uncanny ability of sort of being able to zoom out and understand how so many of these pieces fit together. Well, I really like bluegrass, and that's kind of the starting point. And and uh, um, and I've always felt, and, and some of this comes from from being in Ohio. Uh, the Ohio bluegrass scene, going back to the 1950s, was a really kind of um, it was it was not a rigid scene. You would find, and this is true into the 80s and 90s, you would go into a little hillbilly bar somewhere, and you'd see a band with a guitar player and a drummer and an upright bass player and a banjo and a piano or 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 a pedal steel guitar some like random assortment of instruments <laughs> and that would be and they would do bluegrass songs among other songs um, and it was all kind of one big one big mess there we go um, and i really like that i and so i've like always left, like leftover salmon yeah. Well, I've always had an appreciation for the for like this big range of, of bluegrass music from the really from the traditional from Flat and Scruggs, which I yeah. love, through the Osborne Brothers who had drums and pedal steel on on all their stuff, to you know the I mean when when the kind of jam grass scene got going, I thought well this is pretty cool because here are these here are these uh, bands that are doing their own thing, but they also every once in a while they'll throw a Bill Monroe song in or something like that. So right. it's all part of the same big bluegrass world and i think having that kind of attitude has helped me in writing with people from all the different parts of that world because i can kind of meet them on their ground without imposing my own idea of what bluegrass is right well and you and you and you don't you you have good taste but you don't tend to get hung up on you don't seem like someone who gets hung up on judgments about music does that no, make sense? no, it makes it makes complete sense. I'm, uh, all the time that I spent writing articles about music and writing reviews, I wrote hundreds of record reviews, and 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 I realized fairly quickly that from my point of view, I, the last thing that anybody wanted to know was whether I liked an album or whether I thought it was good, and then what the most important thing for me to do is describe it well. That's what a, that's what a good review does. It describes the music so that you have some idea of whether you think you might like it or not. And um, 
d debates about what bluegrass is or what good music is or all that stuff. Just I'm not not interested. No. Not interested. No, and in fact, we aren't even going to talk for one second. Good about that organization with four letters. <laughs> We're not even going to go there. Um, because, because, that, because that conversation, while we have it incessantly, it is, it, 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 it's more boorish all the time. This sort of definition of music and, the, and, and even, even qualitative judgments about music. I mean, determining if something is good or bad or if it... Ha that, that's just... Yeah, no, I, you like it or you don't. Yeah, you like it or and there's you no don't. accounting for taste. Yeah. You know, your, your synthesis, one of, the, one of the things that you're doing right now, your, your networking, your sort of connect, your connectivity is, is you know, that's, that's critical to sort of your success, it seems like, and it's, and it's an essential role that you play for the scene, drawing connections between potentially disparate individuals. Now, you've been working on this project, Bluegrass at the Crossroads. Yes. At the record label you are associated with. Is it safe to say that you're, you do A&R there? I do A&R for Mountain Home Music Company and Organic yeah. Records, which is a more eclectic imprint. And you've been doing these sessions down there. Um, so, for example, you, you asked me to come in and play a session, and it was um, Sammy Sheeler and Wayne Benson. And, you know, those guys are both um, highly influential, specifically Sammy Sheeler. And, and they're, uh, I consider them to be a, 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 at least a full generation above yeah. me. A blue, bluegrass generation, mm -hmm. you know, however those are, are determined. Um, but then you also had the good sense to, to kind of go out the other direction, and you had Joe Cicero, who's, who's a bluegrass generation, maybe two. Time will tell how that all works out. Uh, behind me, he came up through ETSU, he plays in Fireside Collective, and then um, Carly Arrowwood, am I saying that right? Yep. Who's developing her own solo career and anchored the ec epic, epic bluegrass gospel track we recorded, Lift Your Voice. Yeah. So you had this, like, I'll never forget that session, the opportunity to play out, like, to play and hang out with Sammy Sheeler, who's, who's really nothing like I imagined. He's, like, so much more amazing and interesting than I ever could have imagined. I mean, that, I'll never forget that section, that session, putting that, that group of people together, and, and it ended up being a really wonderful time. Well, this is, I'm, this project is really near and dear to my heart, and on the, the previous, that was the second session that we did. The previous session, we had um, Skip Cherry Holmes from Sideline, formerly Cherry Holmes, uh, part of the Cherry Holmes family. Uh, Skip, we had Darren Nicholson from Balsam Range, a local hero, one of the top bluegrass bands in the country. Jeremy Garrett from the uh, infamous String Dusters. A uh, wonderful bass player here in town uh, named Kevin Kerberg, who teaches music out at Warren Wilson College and plays with Zoe and Cloyd. Awesome. And uh, what am I missing? Oh, uh, oh, and Kristen Scott Benson. Right. Five-time banjo. banjo player of the year, winner of the Steve Martin Prize. Member you know, of the Graskels, right? Member of the Graskels. So, again, I mean, th that is one of the – and that's what the Lonesome Airs was in a way as well, which was Jeremy, me, Andy Falco, Jesse Brock, wonderful, traditional-oriented mandolin player, yeah. and Ned Lubarecki, who can play anything on the banjo. But I've really found – especially now that I'm not touring and not performing on a regular basis, that putting these combinations to different people. And I knew, or at least I felt confident, that you guys would all really enjoy playing together and hanging out together. And that is, that's a part of the way of knitting this whole community together to keep it going for another generation or two. Yeah, well, and the music that came out of those sessions is really awesome. I mean, it, you've... You've got the, Dar the Darren Nicholson song just came out, and I think I, sa I sang on that, right? I sang yes. baritone, yeah. and Jeremy yeah. sang tenor. Yeah. Um, 
And that song's awesome. And then one that we wrote is coming out uh, April 30th. Yes. What is that called? It's called On, On a Lonesome, the Lonesome Breeze. Breeze. That's right. Yeah. And that song we wrote a long time ago. I think actually, I, now that I think about it, I think that was the first one that we wrote together. I think it might have been. I think it was the first one that we wrote together. And it had a chord in it that I didn't care for. So you omitted I it. I X'd it out. <laughs> and, uh, and, but, you know, I, and I was a little nervous about presenting that to you. <laughs> I remember that. But, you know, I mean, these, these songs... I, especially, I've written a lot of songs, and some really stick in my mind, and and I will just, um, I'm going to get those cut, and that was one of those songs. I had another one um, uh, that I did on my on my first solo album um, called "Aim High" that Mark Simos and I wrote, a wonderful songwriter up in in the Boston area, and I pitched that song to Steve Gully four times. <laughs> Four times, and he turned it down three times, and the fourth time he cut it, and it went to number one. So I felt vindicated. That's great. I'm willing to wait a long time That's to great. be vindicated. You're like, seriously, dude, record my song. He's like, no. You're like, okay, I'll be back in a week. Yeah. Try, try again. Or That's, a couple of years. Yeah, you just got to stay on them. That's great. So you've done a lot of writing. You've done liner notes for like 100 records, and... You were IBMA's, I said I wasn't going to say it, IBMA's first songwriter of the year. Yes. Now, weren't you on the committee that created that award? I, <laughs> I was the songwriter. The songwriter committee was created in part to lobby for the addition of, of that award. Because I think that's actually pretty genius. Well, that's, and that's a little, was, it's a little like what I've done with this show. I'll tell you a funny story about that. Please. It's, a, it's, a, it's a brief one. So the songwriter of the year award, the, the IBMA... Gives they have industry awards, the broadcaster of the year, um, uh, music writer of the year, festival right event of the year, and so forth. And so, when they created the songwriter of the year award, instead of putting it with the regular music awards that get presented in the big show and then at night, they had it included as an industry award that got presented in the afternoon. So, that afternoon. Uh, uh, they they gave the award away. I won it. I was very excited. And that evening, the award show was at the Ryman Auditorium, the mother church of country music. And I was so excited, and I took my lovely wife. Uh, we hadn't been married all that long at that point, and I told her, I one songwriter of the year, and they're going to call my name because part of the, just like they do with the Grammys, you know, you know they, they would read off the names of the people in ceremonies earlier this afternoon. Right. Awards were presented in these categories. And um, Lori Lewis, bless her heart, uh, got up there, and, and she was reading them off as a broadcast of the years, this, brought, you know, event of the years, that. And she said, and songwriter of the year goes to, went to Donna Ulysses. <laughs> and my lovely wife turned to me and said, you're a liar. <laughs> you're like, no, I've got the award back at the hotel, I swear. That's funny, man. The, the award, award show mix-ups. They so, happen. So classic, man. So I was going to say, yeah, I, I, I like that um, you, you were part of a steering committee that created an award that you later... Juan, that's really that's really that's really good work, and that's the kind of that's the kind of forward thinking I expect from you. <laughs> and I was going to say it's a little bit like what I did with this show. Like I've always wanted to be a talk show host, but no one was going to hire me, so I just started my own show. Yeah. It's like if you want to win this award, it exactly. doesn't exist. Just invent the award. Yeah. 
Well, no one, no one deserves it more than you. I mean, you've written, you've written songs that would be recorded with the String Dusters. You've probably had, I, you've had a song on every single String Dusters record. I'm almost positive. Not or, the first, but everything after that, yeah. I mean, you've, you've Del McCurry Band, Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver, Balsam Range, Blue Highway, O'Connor Band, Sierra Hall, Jim Lauderdale, Joe Mullins, Lindsey Lou, Billy Strings. The list goes on and on. Um, you, you also, you've done some, you've, you're a radio DJ for a while. Yes. Cincinnati. Yes. Um, I started, I, I spent about two years working at a, a station called WOBO doing a four hour bluegrass show. And then I went from there to WYSO in, in Yellow Springs, Ohio. So that was a nice return to my, my birthplace. And then I gave it up for a number of years until 2006 when I got drafted into first producing and scripting and then eventually co-hosting handpicked with Del McCurry on on Bluegrass Junction on satellite radio and that was a great gig. That sounds like a great Every gig. week I went down to Del McCurry's house and we sat and talked about bluegrass music and listened to records for an hour. That sounds like it sounds like your dream come true, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good time. A, a bluegrass a bluegrass lifer and historian like you. Well, and the, you know, and the thing is I will say about Del and I also felt this way uh, feel this way about Roland White who I played with the whole time, almost the whole time I was living in Nashville and produced a, an album uh, on. These are guys whose careers go back to the 1950s. And if anybody was entitled to be like, that's not bluegrass, that's not the way that we used to do it, and all that, it's them because they really did used to do it. And they are the most open-minded, and that was kind of the premise of the Del McCurry of Handpicked, and still is, is that Del McCurry is at the top of this giant mountain that go of bluegrass that goes in all directions and uh, that's just really important to me to keep up yeah he is he's uh, he's pretty I mean, he's pretty much the, at the at, at the top i mean there's 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 kind of no one else around from his generation yeah or prior that um that has that has what what he has, which is is so beyond the the music that he makes and the songs that he sings, and it has to do with the the person that he is and the and the and the the vibration of his family and yeah. of his band and the way that the way that 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 they are as people. You know, the McCurries. You can it, you know you can kind of bundle them all together. They're all really cut from that same cloth of being incredibly open minded and incredibly loving people and very grateful. They have they have had a huge impact on the bluegrass scene in Nashville, certainly, and really around the world. Um, but yeah, so you arrived in Nashville in two thousand three, which was like two years before me, and you were living at the bluegrass compound next door to Andy yes. Hall and and Janice. Uh, we were overlooking the Cumberland River, and I stayed in that guest room there for a little while when I was getting my feet. And I even remember the weekend of, from of my audition for the String Dusters. There was like a typical mega party at the compound, you know, where there was these two houses and plenty of yard. And that was such a good, that was such a good time to be in Nashville, you know, 05 to 2010. Yeah. It was yeah. wonderful. But now you're, now you're here. Why I'm here? Why, why, you, you left Nashville. What drew you to this part of the country? Well, it's a really gorgeous part of the country. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that, that was seriously the starting point. Uh, my wife and I realized a couple of years ago that, um, 
once she retired from her job, we had for a long time thought that we would move into Nashville, and that sort of the prices went up, and and that was no longer an option. And then we thought, well, we're not staying out here, kind of in nowhere. Uh, we could and we could live anywhere because the night drivers. I was playing with Chris Jones at the time, and Chris lives near the North Pole, and the banjo player lived in Northern Virginia, and the mandolin player lived in Southern Illinois. So you know, travel was built into being in that band. Yeah. And Western North Carolina was a was an area that both of us really liked, and we came down here just to kind of scout around for places to live. And I sort of got offered a job working for Mountain Home Music Company, and it took a couple. They reeled me in over a period of about a year, but that was uh, that was the deciding factor. So, yeah, well we're, well, we're really glad to have you down here. Well, I I love it. I love it here. Yeah, well, I mean, what's not to love? We've only sat down to write a handful of times. Um, I only count, like, maybe six. Um, but so far, I think you've pointed out we have a pretty good batting average. We've recorded most of the songs. First, the fir- as far as I can tell, the first song, I think the first song we wrote was with Jeremy. I think Windy in Nashville okay. was the first one we yeah. wrote back in about 2008. And then we did On a Lonesome Breeze in January of 2009. And that comes out next month. Yep. So it's been a long time coming, that one. We'll play that one tonight. A Little Too Much. Yeah. Which is a song um, that I like, and I changed some chords in it that you didn't like. <laughs> which is, you know. It's how it goes. Turn about as fair play. Yeah. Um, a Night on the River, which is yeah. probably the sort of most played song that we've written. Um, that was on the String Dusters record, Silver Sky. We wrote that in maybe 2009 or 2010. And then we went for a long time. Um, it wasn't until August of this year we wrote Pearl of Carolina, which is based on sort of the theme of this show. And then... Uh, and then what may oh, end up being yes. our ultimate legacy, <laughs> we got together with Sean Lane in December and wrote a Christmas bluegrass song. Tell Ma I'll be home for Christmas. Tell Ma I'll be home for Christmas. Um, and hopefully well, that'll see the light of day. Um, but, but, but most of those have been, you know, Blown and Lonesome Breeze got cut, uh, Night on the River, Pearl of Carolina is going to be on the Dusters mm-hmm. record. What about a little too much? Was that did someone did some something happen with that one? I don't think anything has happened yet. Well, we'll play it tonight, and yeah. then I'll maybe record it and put it out. So, why let's 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 get let's 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 get into your head a little bit, John. Why do you do what you do? Write songs, A and R, write liner notes, play bass beyond the obvious need for a paycheck. Yeah. What motivates you? Like, what's the point? Uh, I spent a good chunk of my life working in professions that were unrelated to music but i have loved music all my life and i've been playing music all my life and i've been creative about it all my life and i realized somewhere along the way kind of kind of in in well i i quit my day job when my son was born in 1990 and when i started to think about going back to work again once the once the boys were old enough i thought well i don't want to go back to doing that stuff let me see if i can make a living in the world of music because that is what i think about the mother of my son once told me she said i I never ask you what you're thinking about anymore because it's always one thing it's music (laughs) and it's really it's really kind of true you know if i'm not if i'm not focused on some other task that's what's going through my head and i think that's true of many musicians you know and so so the 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 opportunity to build a career in and and I would say the other thing that I figured out fairly early on um, is that there there are there are day jobs that are music unrelated. There's playing music, 
And then there's this whole area around that that is also music related. That's also can be create that's creative and interesting and part of building that community and being part of the community. Yeah. Writing liner notes and doing radio shows and writing songs and all that. You add that all up. There was a for for most of the time, most of the, this century, I didn't make even half of my income doing one thing. Right. You know, it was it was. It was Touring and writing songs and doing a radio show and writing other stuff. But it was all centered around music. And that's really, that's still what gets me up every morning. It's the love of the music. You love it. I mean, you're not, you're not young, John. Nope. You're not young, but you're still incredibly productive. Like you're probably like at least as productive as you've ever been. Yeah. And I mean, (laughs) you know, you continue to write songs, you're pouring energy into Crossroads. You even took this gig. How do you do it? How do you have like how how, are, how do you do it? Uh, One foot in front I of the other, I guess. Get a good night's sleep and <laughs> lots of exercise. <laughs> no, I mean you know you wake I, up in the morning thinking about the next bluegrass at the crossroads section, or you get you know you just it just it's part of your life. I think yeah. you already answered the question. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, and, and that's and and that's um, I, my father, who is ninety eight years old now. Um, quit his he was a, a history professor and a writer and he decided he didn't like the academic world and he just wanted to write and he became a freelance writer in 19 about 1975 or so and that has sustained his career he's done all kinds of great things that are all circle around that writing and so that so I had a model of sorts somebody right. to to look right. at who was who put together a living a freelance living and 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 uh, and to to have that kind of model really helps a lot. Oh, that that has to be huge. Because yeah. I know that that's a huge stumbling point for a lot of creative people is just not having any idea how to make it, how to how to make it pay. How to, how to, well, and know. I think I think people tend to think of the one thing like I'm going to be a touring musician or I'm going to play in the studio or I'm going I'm going to perform. That's what I'm going to do, and. You know, especially now when when touring's cut off, then you think, okay, well, I'll perform when I can, but I'm going to write some songs. I'm going to uh, give lessons. Sure. I'm going to do, you know, but if 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 doing music related stuff, if you when you conceptualize a career that way, it really it lets you be a lot more flexible and take advantage of things as they come along. Yeah, t- totally. T- take advantage of opportunities yeah. instead of having to push your rock up the hill all the time. What what do you think about when you lie awake at night? <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Uh, um, I work on a lot of different projects. <laughs> and it's interesting because, I mean, having just talked about it, I have all this variety of things that I put together to make a living. I'm now also managing a lot of different things, but I'm still not used to them all being in this category of stuff like, well, okay, I need to find some musicians to play on this on on this session that's coming up and did i remember to make charts for the session tomorrow and uh you know what about what uh we we need to write some stuff for a press release and what am i going to say because <laughs> all that kind of stuff you're really in it man you're yeah. in it but i will say it it does not keep me up at night a lot because i feel like i'm in a, a pretty i mean i work with a great team at the label um i work with great musicians with people who I've been friends with. Some are new friends, but a lot of them are people that I've known for 10, 15, 20 years. 
Um, so it's being a part of a community and, and, uh, and having a job that lets me contribute in the ways that I like to contribute and I, I think I'm pretty good at, that makes for, you know, I go to bed at night and I go to sleep. <laughs> you sleep well. <laughs> um, what do you, you, you mentioned your father before. Um, he was, so he was, he was free, freelance yeah. writer. What, yeah. what's, what's something beyond, beyond what you already told us, what, is, what, what else is something you learned from your father? I learned a, well. I learned a lot about American history. He's an American historian, and I will say that um, one of the things that I have found that brings a lot of different kinds of people together with a lot of different attitudes is an appreciation for some of the fundamentals of American history and American government. You know, the the guys who wrote the Constitution were flawed in many ways and some really deep and profound ways but they also made they created a structure of governance that has basically continued to work in all all these years and i spent some 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 time uh, in the late 1970s working on uh, doing kind of lobbying and human rights work around uh, the dictatorship in chile and chile had had 150 years of elections and then no more elections. They had had a military coup. And so that always gave me an appreciation that we have had even a longer period of time. And wouldn't it be good to keep things that way? <laughs> and I got, I mean, I got my passion for that from, from my dad, definitely. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really cool. What, what, um, what color is your front door? Brown. Nice. I don't think I've gotten that one yet. Um, if you could jam with any bluegrass musician alive or no longer living, who would it be? Oh boy, that's a lot of choices. Earl Scruggs. Yeah, great. Earl Scruggs. I played three songs with Earl Scruggs in at a birthday party for him one year, and that was a that was exciting. I believe it. I mean, Earl's the, Earl's the one. Just two more questions, John. What what are you afraid of? You afraid of anything? Uh, I'm afraid of making bad music. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> good. I mean, I I work hard to make it good. I I, I don't I don't having having music out there that has my name on it that is not good. Right. Is a very unpleasant feeling. <laughs> I don't have much of it, but I, there's a there's a couple of songs that I kind of wish that maybe I hadn't written. Interesting. Yeah. That's what happens when you do all that co-writing. <laughs> Right. You have to turn over the reins yeah. to some extent. That's also what happens when you write about a million songs. There's going to be a few in there that maybe you just didn't realize they were a turd. No, I usually have a pretty good idea. <laughs> All right. And finally, John, what, what is it that you're happy about? I'm happy about living in Western North Carolina. Seriously, I wake up every morning in our little house in Brevard. You've been there. We've got to have creek running through the through the backyard, and I look out at the trees and the mountains and the sun coming up, and I think, man, this is a good place to live. I love it, man. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Everybody, John Weisberger, thanks so much, man. Thanks, thanks for letting Thank me you. pick your brain a little bit. Absolutely.
Down an old dirt road, some forgotten street, dust clouds rising up from my dragon feet. Can't remember when I last saw her face. Seems like such a waste. I live with no goodbye, such a whirlwind rush. Don't remember why, can't say that I remember much. Doesn't seem to be a reason to return to Bridges Bar. I've been walking day and night, I'm dying on my feet. Too long since I've had a night of sleep. And I can hear it calling me, the love I've known to come back home. Per Carolina. we wrote, you and I got together with Jeremy Garrett up at his house, and we were having one of those, it was turned into a little bit of a Nashville gripe session, you know, the weather was bad, and you hear musicians, you know, complain about lonesome hard living in Nashville. We figured we'd give it some voice. It's called Windy in Nashville. A one, two, three, two, Well, it's windy in Nashville today I don't think that I'm gonna stay Hard as it blows, it won't take me away Been here too long, just singing my song It's windy in Nashville today Oh 
Well, it's hard luck in Nashville tonight As the band's playing under the light 3 a.m. Broadway is a blinking inside Keep playing on till the last drink is gone Well, it's hard luck in Nashville tonight Session is a headed for dawn. The suits have gone home, but the mics they're still on. Don't play from the heart, just follow the charm. Well, it's windy in Nashville today. Thank you. Windy Nashville. Do another tune. Another wind tune. Another tune about another tune about the wind. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> another tune about the lonesome wind. You know, we got a joke in the dusters about how Weisberger can find a way to fit the word lonesome into any song. And so when I got done writing that Christmas song with with John, the first thing I did when he left the house as I texted my bandmates, I said, you guys will not believe this. I just wrote a Christmas song with Weisberger, and guess what word we managed to fit into a Christmas song. And sure enough, three of them guessed it simultaneously. They all knew. So there's a song, Blown on a Lonesome Breeze. This a version of this with Sammy Sheeler and a whole bunch of other awesome people will be out uh, Bluegrass at the Crossroads on April 30th. Bluegrass at the Crossroads. Bottles on the table 
This has been the Travis Book Happy Hour Podcast. Thanks for listening. Huge thanks to John Weisberger, Tommy Marr, Thompson Guitars, Americana Vibes, and the Bluegrass Situation. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a positive review. It really helps us out. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Travis Book Happy Hour and online at thetravisbookhappyhour.com. And remember, it's okay to be happy. 